Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Guys, how do you do it? How do you do it? You seem to really love getting me to talk about these hairy, prickly, (laughs) taboo subjects. No, I love it. I love it. Hey, welcome. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the second part of our new collection, Building a Biblical Sexual Ethic. Um, Of course, like I said last week, the week before was a fantastic um, chat that I had with one of the GND tribe girls here, one of our listeners who told her story, which was just amazing. But this whole collection is dedicated to rebuilding a sexual ethic or narrative from a biblical perspective. You know, we can't just say, well, hey, the past has been harmful and leave it at that. If we haven't done it well, how can we do it better And yes, we should still be talking about it because at the end of the day, I believe that God designed it so he must have a plan for it all. So today we are going to build or rebuild the narrative by firstly talking about all the things that seem to have been made taboo. I'm going to give you about, I think about nine different things that I think previously we haven't really focused on. It's going to get pretty hairy by the end, guys. Uh, Stick with me. But I think these are things that we need to start talking about if we're going to do this better. So let's just do a really quick recap on last week. I would highly suggest that you go back and have a listen. Um, But that one was focused on, um, you know, hey, I've lost my virginity, like now what? And we kind of nutted down three main reasons why the whole virginity purity narrative needs to change. And they were firstly, that it needs to change because clearly it hasn't worked because young adults are not buying it. And how do we know? Well, we can see that by the stats of how many young evangelical Christians are sexually active, which I said last week was about three quarters. So obviously what we're doing it's not working. And I've said it before, the world seems to be doing a better job of discipling our young people when it comes to their sexuality than what we are. So we need to have a good hard look at ourselves. Secondly, the reason I think it hasn't worked is because there's been a shame narrative that we've used to try and make people stay virgins. And it's not biblical. And this is why people are coming out in the truckload from church experiences saying that it was harmful to them because they were um, they were made to feel shameful, even if that wasn't our intention. And of course, I talked last week about how it's not biblical anyway, because God never uses shame to keep us in line. In fact, his message is the complete opposite. It's one of redemption. And the third reason that the purity virginity message has not worked is because we focused on that as the only issue when there's really so much more to talk about. And I think we have missed the mark by focusing just on young people and then staying quote unquote pure. So I think, and this is where I want to take it a step further today, because in focusing on virginity, we seem to have forgotten a host of other things. And so we've had endless conversations about one topic and then made all the other topics out of bounds. 
So I have gotten quite a bit of help from different people, from different girls, particularly some girls that have been chatting with me on our Facebook page, my Facebook um, book club page, which by the way, you can join at any time. It's Girl Next Door Book Club. The link is on my Instagram as well, which will take you straight there. But they've really been helping me with, um, they've really been quite vulnerable and I'm not going to, obviously I'm not going to be saying any names or anyone's stories here, but they've been very vulnerable in sharing with me the things that they struggled with because they were never talked about. And there are so many experiences that they've had that we haven't addressed in our narrow narrative, which previously has just all been about one thing, getting you to your wedding day a virgin. And so we are going to unpack today some taboo subjects. I don't have answers for everything, but I think just by bringing them up and talking about them and beginning to have the conversation is really important which kind of goes against my great. I always want to come up with solutions and answers. So uh, some of it I can, but some of it, guys, I think we all need to help one another uh, in order to build a new biblical sexual ethic. All right, so here we go. I think I've got about nine of them today. Things that we have ignored that have been taboo. And the first one is all of the people who have actually lost their virginity. That's why last week I called it, I've lost my virginity not me personally, (laughs) but that's why we're focusing on it because like we said, statistically three quarters, and I am addressing our, um, our evangelical, you know, Christian young people, three quarters of them have lost their virginity. Now, can I just say, I am pretty sure all the girls would agree with me here. Whenever you read anything to do with virginity, You can, you you try this out, try this out, go to Google right now and Google something about losing your virginity. I guarantee you, guess who it's aimed at? It's always aimed at the girls. And I think that's one thing that needs to change for starters because, um, hello, a girl cannot lose their virginity by themselves, can they? And yet somehow all the conversation and all the responsibility seems to be pushed onto the girls. But clearly, I think the first thing we need to change when it comes to this, um, you know, talking about or addressing those who have lost their virginity, which is the majority of people in reality in our youth groups and in our churches, uh, the conversation needs to be directed at guys as well, not just girls. Okay, so that's one thing that we need to change. Um, So when we talk about another thing that needs to change is when we talk about what we believe to be God's design for sex, which is virginity. I think we need to stop using some of the analogies that we've used in the past to try and motivate people to stay virgins. But I think some of these analogies instead have actually caused more shame. And to be honest, I'm probably guilty of this. I know that in trying to motivate and teach my young people in the past when I was younger to stay virgins, I have used different analogies. But when you think about it, even though these analogies are meant to motivate us to stay virgins, if you don't stay a virgin, which is what this whole number one point is about, then you're actually made to feel like the broken, unsticky, you know, and I'll explain that one in a second, but you're, you're made to feel like the broken, you know, person. So for example, there's that whole analogy of, you know, one sticky piece of paper 
Um, and when it comes against another sticky piece of paper, if you keep on sticking and unsticking to like, if you think if you get two stickers and you keep kind of sticking them and unsticking, sticking and unsticking that, that that's meant to represent every time you have sex with a different person, you're sticking yourself to someone else and then ripping it away and then sticking yourself to another person and ripping it away. And we've used the analogy that what happens is that piece of paper loses their stickiness. It becomes no longer functioning and unsticky sticky. Now, that's fine if you're trying to motivate someone to stay a virgin. That's like, oh, that's a nice analogy. But if you're someone that is not a virgin, then the message that you take away from that is, I am a non-functioning, non-sticky piece of sticky paper. Or even worse, the analogy that was used in America quite a lot, I never heard of this one until recently, but it's terrible. The spit in the cup, people would get everyone to spit in the cup and pass it to someone and then say, who wants to drink it? Like that is just gross. And again, I can understand where they were going with that, trying to teach people, you know, not to do that. You're worth more than that. But what about if you're the person who's slept with multiple people, you now have a cup full of everyone else's spit. It's a really degrading way to talk about anybody. So we have to be careful what these analogies, um, how they might make people feel which AKA three quarters of our youth ministries who have um, slept with other people. So, you know, we don't talk about other sin like that. So our narrative needs to better address everyone, people who are virgins, people who are not virgins. And considering three quarters of our young people at any one time are not going to be, then perhaps we need to focus more on them and God's message of redemption. You know that, uh, look, Am I saying that we don't teach that God's design is for virginity, that sex is is meant to be used within marriage? No, I'm not saying that. And I'm going to get to that in another podcast. Um, Yes, God has a plan for our good when it comes to our sexuality, like he has a plan for every part of our life. But when we act in any way different to that, it's not the end of the world. So a really good way that we can start teaching, just to kind of help you out here, is maybe we should start teaching a little bit from the family line of Jesus. If we follow Jesus' genealogy, okay, you go back to his mother, father, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-great-grandparents, blah, 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 all the way back, and you follow his ancestry, there are a number of women and men who were a part of Jesus' family history line who had really messy lives. And they certainly were not the do-good God-believing people that perhaps you think would have come out of, you know, been in Jesus' um, family line. These people messed up, a lot of them, big time. In fact, they had scandalous backstories, and yet without their existence, Jesus would never have come to be. So let's look at just a few. Let's look at David. David was a part of Jesus' genealogy. He was probably the worst sexual sinner of the lot, and yet he is described as a man after God's own heart. Look at Abraham. Abraham slept with his wife's maid his wife's maidservant for goodness sake. And then look at some of the women in Jesus' genealogy. Tamar disguised herself as a prostitute. Raham was a prostitute. Ruth was viewed as worthless because she was a widow. And then there's Bathsheba who had an affair with David while her husband was away at war. So a really powerful way that we can teach young people is through stories, stories about others who were less than perfect, 
God doesn't shy away from telling about all the stories, the good and the bad. He didn't leave it out thinking, oh, I can't tell that part. It might ruin Jesus' credibility. Nothing about your story should be able to ruin your credibility. And yes, while God has a plan for our good, while he designed things in an orderly way to be a certain way, he also knows and understands our humanity. He knows you. He knows me. He knows three quarters of the young people in our youth ministries and churches. He doesn't remove them from the story. He doesn't ignore the story. So neither should we. Okay, I spent a lot of time on my first point, okay? But you you get it, you get it. We need to be talking as much, if not more, about those who have lost their virginity, okay? And like I said, I will talk on a later podcast about what God's design was for sex, etc., and how we can teach that. But for today, I just want us to focus on all of the things that we don't talk about that we should. The second one I think we need to talk about a little bit more, and this is a very sensitive topic, and that is those who are victims of non-consent consensual sex. So, you know, those have been that have been um, you know, the victim of some sort of abuse. Now, in our push for virginity in church world, have we forgotten about those who are no longer virgins through no fault of their own? Because by leaving them out of the conversation, you know, have we, without meaning to, made them feel shamed and condemned through no fault of their own? Now, statistically, it's one in nine girls, so it's it's way more girls that have been the victims of abuse, one in nine girls and one in 53 boys under the age of 18. And they've been made to feel shame enough. And so we need to make sure in our conversations that we cover, protect, and are a safe space for anybody who might have suffered any any sort of um, sexual abuse. Okay, the third topic we need to talk about more that shouldn't be taboo are the young people that have not been brought up in a Christian home. Now, I was brought up in a Christian home since I was five. So it was not, you know, new news to me when I would hear our youth ministry occasionally talking about God's plan for sex within marriage, etc., etc. But I know plenty of people and I've had conversations particularly in with a lot of students in the Youth Alive Academy, they've not been brought up in a Christian home. They haven't been brought up with the biblical standards that we might have been brought up with. They might have come to church or youth group um, from households that don't share the same values. And we should be very careful not to make them feel shame for something that they've never been taught. Um, a lot of what we say, it might be the first time that they've heard it. They might be, It might be completely new to them. So we need to be careful that we aren't overstepping also what their parents have taught them. So it's just a, a very, something we need to be aware of, okay? All of those kids that are first time, um, you know, for the first lot of people in their families to to be Christians. Okay, you're doing good. Number four, uh, we need to talk about, we need to, you know what we need to talk about? This is a big one. Actually, this is probably, I could almost spend as much time on this as the first one. We need to prepare our young people better for what happens when it comes to sex within marriage. Okay, so I said this last week. It's like we get young people to the altar saying, I do, as virgins, and we think, woohoo, yay, fuel, excellent, we made it, done our jobs, see you later. But I have spoken to quite a few girls who said that, you know, they focus so hard on doing the right thing before they got married, aka, you know, doing the right thing and staying a virgin, 
that they were completely unprepared for what came after. So here we are teaching our young people to suppress all their sexual desire, and then suddenly they get married and they're supposed to like completely change. That's a really difficult thing to to you know focus on being a virgin your whole life, then all of a sudden you sign this piece of paper, piece of paper and voila, you're meant to be the queen or the king of the bedroom. It can feel unnatural, it can feel awkward. Um, and more than that, there are oftentimes people who struggle with sex within marriage for physical issues. You know, there are all sorts of physical issues that can that can happen that can be a barrier, particularly more on the girls' side of things, um, but also psychological issues. Like I said before, there are people going into marriage who have been abused, who, who have experienced sexual abuse in some sort of way. You don't just suddenly get married and get over that. In fact, being married... Uh, can bring all of those things up again. And so we need to help young people be prepared for that. Um, Because what can happen if we don't is these young people get married and no one checks in on them. No one has had a conversation with them and they are struggling in some sort of way and then feel like they're failing. And then they have no one to go to. They're too embarrassed to go to anyone. They feel very alone. Um, And so I think we need to prepare couples better and not only for someone who might struggle themselves, but how to be the partner of someone who is struggling psychologically or even physically. Because I always say that when you're married, you don't have an individual problem anymore. It's not my problem. Any problem becomes our problem. All right. So that's a big one that I think we need to talk about more is not, you know, in our focus for virginity, forget about preparing people well. I think, by the way, I think more young people who are engaged need to make sure they get really good marriage counseling um, and have a really good conversation with a trusted person in their life or pastor about sex within marriage. So yeah, anyway, I could maybe teach on that one day. No, I don't think I could. (laughs) Okay, number five. Um, Another thing I think we need to be careful about that's probably taboo are the gender stereotypes in the way that we teach. So have we stereotyped the way that guys and girls act sexually so that then if you don't fit with inside these bounds, somehow you're not normal? I think we really have. Um, I think what we've tended to have done is to focus on the boys as these wild, untamed beasts who can't control their desire. Um, But, you know, what about the guys that maybe don't feel that way? Does that bring shame on them? And we tend to have focused on the girls, especially Christian girls, as these, you know, good girls, certainly not girls with with a sex drive. Well, what about the girls who do have a high sex drive? So we can tend to set people up for failure because they might not fit the stereotypes that we perhaps unwittingly have taught. So then what happens is we tend to kind of, again, hide our feelings and feel shamed out. Um, Okay, so there my five things I think we can definitely start talking about straight away. But I just want to address one, two, three, yeah, three different things that I think we're steering away from because, I I don't know, for a whole heap of reasons. There's a few taboo topics for a whole heap of reasons. I think because 
maybe we don't know where we stand on these topics or we don't know what to say or perhaps um, we think we know where God really sits on some topics but we don't want to appear intolerant or maybe we really don't know what the Bible says on these topics. Now, these things I'm going to mention now Please, I do not have all the answers today, um, but I think we need to explore them. And these are topics that I am constantly talking about, researching, and I myself find it very difficult to find anyone who can answer my questions on how we should be talking about these things. And so I think more and more I've got people coming to me because they know that I'm willing to talk about them. But, you know, I mean, I'm on a journey too, guys. All right, so the first one of these, so it's number six, but it's the first one of the taboo topics that I don't have an answer for, is we do not talk about contraception. Now, there's, of course, a clear reason why we don't, because we want young people to stay virgins. And therefore, we think that, you know, we don't need to talk about it because young people shouldn't need it. Um, adults think that perhaps if we talk about these things, we are therefore encouraging, you know, sex outside of marriage. So if we start talking about contraception, then we're encouraging, um, young people to go and have sex outside of marriage. But can we maybe start having the conversation knowing that three quarters of our young people probably are anyway? Um, because statistically Christian young people, have higher rates of STIs and, of course, even pregnancy because they don't seek out contraception because they don't want anyone to know that they're having sex. And even worse, um, they might get an STI and, no, and not go and get it treated because, again, they're embarrassed. Okay, so that's that's my first one, contraception. Uh, number seven, but it's my second one in the taboo subjects that I do not have answers for, Um uh, are is the whole issue of being same-sex attracted. So people are now being told younger and younger that a whole host of things that were once taboo are not only more than okay now, but are even to be celebrated. And being same-sex attracted is one of those. I don't think that we can keep ignoring this topic. You know, we all have young people in our worlds who would say that they're same-sex attracted. And I don't have all the answers, but I do know that we need to start talking. And um, and I do know that there are some, you know, I would call them pretty clear standards in the Bible about this, which I do want to unpack at a later stage. Um, but again, this is the reason we steer clear of it is because we have a fear that if we say, hey, this is what we believe God says, we don't want people to feel unloved and we don't want people to feel um, shamed out and we don't want people to feel unacceptable and they are all completely valid reasons. So what do we do? How do we go about having these conversations? The next one, so it's number eight all up of taboo topics, but, uh, number three on my list of very taboos, and that would be anything to do with gender. Okay. So there's obviously many issues around gender, I mean, transgender is one. There are those that feel they are a gender other than their biological gender. Um, there are those who are non-binary. In other words, they feel that they are a gender that is neither male nor female. 
And then, of course, there are so many more things we could talk about to do with gender, such as pronouns. I had someone recently tell me that one of their youth girls brought her girlfriend to youth who went by the pronoun they, them. And this youth leader said to me, I was completely unprepared and I wish that I'd been better equipped for that situation. And I agree. I think we can't just keep ignoring these things. I think we need to have conversations and people like me need to help younger youth leaders to be better equipped. And so I will attempt to do that in the future. But I'm not the be all and end all of answers. I think it's something we need to look at together. Okay, so let me just quickly recap on those eight things that um, the eight different topics that I think previously have been taboo that we need to start talking about in order to build a more healthy uh, sexual ethic. So the first one, we need to start talking more and addressing those who have lost their virginity because that represents, you know, three quarters of the young people at any one time. Secondly, we need to make sure we're addressing and and creating a safe space for victims of non-consensual sex. Thirdly, uh, we need to make sure we start talking um, and, and including those who have not grown up in Christian homes. Fourthly, I think we need to better prepare for, uh, people for sex within marriage um, rather than just focusing all the time on virginity because there can be issues there. Number five, I think we need to start maybe addressing our stereotypes of uh, of our sexuality according to our gender so that people aren't made to feel non, you know, abnormal. Number And then, of course, there's the hairy ones. Number six, uh, we need to start having conversations around contraception. Number seven, around anything LGBT, so same-sex attracted. And then, of course, conversations when it comes to gender. That's number eight. So there are the eight things. That's a little bit of homework for you guys, hey. <laughs> but there, there are some of the things that I think can be included in us building a new narrative and, of course, a biblical narrative. Um, but I think we need to start addressing these things because, like I said, when you look back in Jesus' genealogy, it is full of scandalous stories and God never hid them and he never shied away from them and so neither should we. And we need to start talking about these things because if we don't, then where are our young people going to go to feel safe? Where are they going to go to have these conversations? Of course, they should be going to their parents, but in reality, a lot of them don't or can't or won't. And so that's why I tend to go there on all sorts of topics here on Girl Next Door, because I think we just can't bury our heads in the sand. I might not have all the answers, but you know, we can't bury our heads in the sand. And I think we need to help shape the culture, not react to culture. And we should be leading the way in culture, not the ones following behind. So I think it's up to us to arm young people with the tools to navigate life. And we might not have all the answers, but we should be having the conversation. So there you go. So guys, come back next week. Next week, I'm going to start to look at building a um, an actual biblical ethic from, you know, how does God talk about all these things? What does God say about it? What is God's design for it? So uh, come back next week for that because it's super important. And please, can you make sure that you share this? And also, I would love it if you guys would subscribe And also, if you could continue to write, I know a lot of people have already, um, write a five-star review on um, Apple Podcasts. That would be incredible. 
because I don't understand the technological side of things, but I know it helps with the algorithms and it helps just keep pushing Girl Next Door up there so that more people can hear all of this great stuff that I know you guys love every week. So anyway, until then, um, until Friday, come and join me, Parenthood Friday, but lots of good stuff. Even if you're not a parent, I will see you then. Have a great one, guys. Bye.